Hey, it's Michael, and just before we get into this episode of the Strategy Report, I just wanted to let you know that there's an all-new version of the Formula Legend mobile game available for iOS and for Android. It's the perfect mobile racing companion for the home, for the train, for the office, operating theatre, literally anywhere you can think of, you should have this game with you. So if you go to formulalegend.beamogle.com, you can find out more information and download your first copy or upgrade your copy of the Formula Legend mobile game. Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for Formula Legend. On this week's edition, the Canadian Grand Prix, why can't anyone other than Mercedes win a race? And is Pirelli wasting costs on shipping for the Ultrasoft tyre? That's all to come on this edition of the Strategy Report. And my guest this week for the Canadian Grand Prix, possibly the first time of the year, granted we've been to some obscure places that I actually have a man from the country itself. His name's Ernie Black. You might know him as the F1 Poet on Twitter. Ernie, how are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks, Michael. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. Now that we've recovered all those humble viewers from Australia from the, frankly, horrific time zone of the Canadian Grand Prix. <laughs> but it's always worth it, Canada. I don't think anyone actually has any gripes, other than perhaps Bernie Eccleston, but that's largely for money reasons, <laughs> over the Canadian Grand Prix. It really is one of those special events on the calendar, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, the city sends, lends itself to uh, to Formula One, uh, and uh, the the experience um, at the at the circuit, as well as the uh, the city is uh, is uh, fantastic i've been to several grand prix and you really feel the uh, the atmosphere yeah absolutely and i it's it, it's interesting how much the atmosphere of a race really plays into our standing of it even for those who will never get to the race i mean we compare i mean we've got some great tracks in some obscure places where formula one's maybe not a huge deal but it's always nice to go back to uh what i suppose we can call the european heartland or American heartland even uh, where the crowd is really big and it almost doesn't matter what happens in the race after that because everyone just has a good time yeah I think uh, pretty much everyone starts uh, drinking around Thursday and uh, <laughs> by Monday they can hardly remember who won the race <laughs> we're more than happy to fill them in on that all they need to do is subscribe and it's that straightforward uh, the weather though I want to talk about the weather because we normally do have to talk about the weather in Canada it uh, tends to be one of those races and it did play a significant part or so it seems but it didn't ever rain it was all just about the fact it was kind of cold yeah with montreal you never do know what the weather holds there's no such thing as predicting the weather in montreal uh let's face it the the circuit is on a man-made island in the middle of the saint lawrence seaway mm -hmm. and it has much like melbourne it has the possibility of having all four seasons uh, in the same day mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and we sort of saw at least across the three days we had some quite warm weather on friday or some let's say reasonable racing weather on friday and it cooled right down by sunday to the point where some of that tire data the teams will have learned on uh, free practice during friday was kind of irrelevant to the point where it was a little bit of an unknown uh, regarding the duration of the tyres, the pace they would ultimately hold. So we saw a lot of people playing a little bit conservatively with the tyres, but we will get into the race strategy in just a moment because I want to go back to qualifying. This is, of course, what set up the entire weekend because compared to the last couple of years where Mercedes with 
undoubtedly the class leading engine and even the class leading car let's face it, in the last two seasons usually dominated here by around seven tenths of a second in qualifying over the next closest car none of the sort in canada and it seems like ferrari and even red bull racing with their Renault engine, for the the so maligned Renault engine, has really caught right back up. Yeah, I think uh, Ferrari de- definitely made a step forward with their new turbo, as we saw in Seb's car. And, uh, um, well, let's face it, Daniel's pretty much uh, quick anywhere he goes, especially with that Red Bull chassis, even without their, uh, without their uh, power. But Renault's also made some gains. So I'm, I'm glad to see that we're, uh, we're seeing a trend where the gap is starting to tighten so that we might actually see some some scraps on the track and maybe even people stealing points from each other. Yeah, absolutely. And it really puts into context, without getting into uh, the last two race results, I suppose, uh, the fight Nico Rosberg's going to have on his hands to maintain this championship, regardless of the fact that his points lead's now been slashed to nine from 43 wow. after the Russian Grand Prix, I think it was, which, yeah, really puts it into perspective. But the fact now, I mean, it could help or hinder him, I suppose, that Lewis Hamilton is not necessarily his chief rival anymore perhaps he's the chief rival but there'll be other drivers looking to take victories and points away from perhaps either of them so it really does set up going into the the second third of this season a pretty interesting power balance absolutely uh if we look at um let's take one step back and say that the game the head game is very important and Mm -hmm. right now lewis has the lead he has the edge on uh, a Nico who's lost that uh, ever so important confidence that he mm-hmm. might have had. Uh, you, you saw him fight back desperately uh, in the race, but Lewis is definitely on top of his game right now. He feels that he's, uh, he's mentally strong, he's got the uh, momentum, and uh, he smells blood. On top of that, we've got everybody else that's starting to pick up their game. So. If Nico loses uh, a few points here and a few points there, you can easily see Lewis catch up without necessarily having to to beat Nico. Mm -hmm. And we might end up in a situation where Nico Rosberg has lost that opportunity to take a title in the class-leading car, the opportunity Lewis Hamilton had for the first two years. Uh, And it becomes a much broader, I guess, psychological fight. And another which Rosberg hasn't had experience in. I mean, Lewis Hamilton obviously knows what it's like to have a a, a multi-way championship battle. And I think a lot of that sort of played into his experience fighting for championships. In any case, the way he was able to really smash Rosberg out of the park last season. But this year, it's a a different battle completely. Rosberg now knows what it's like to go toe-to-toe with a single driver. But what's it going to be like when you've got to compete with the likes of Sebastian Vettel, a four-time world champion, or even Daniel Ricciardo? Who, who's a bit of an unknown quantity himself in a championship fight? Absolutely. Uh, one thing that we did we did notice is that the the Mercedes does not like being in dirty air. Mm. It, it really doesn't handle the same way. So if you get stuck behind uh, some traffic, it could really impact your race. And if Nico finds himself in that position again. Uh, he's going to struggle. Absolutely, and that plays fantastically well into exactly what we saw during the Grand Prix because it wasn't Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg leading away from the first row off the line. It was Sebastian Vettel who qualified in third place who led them round the first corner after, I think Maurizio Riverbena described as the best start ever in Formula 1. I couldn't say that objectively, but I can say that it was a very, very good start. Enough to beat Hamilton. Rosberg got a better start than Hamilton as well, but he was pushed out of the way at the 
first turn. I guess, first of all, before we get into the strategy of it, what was your take on that first turn move which proved so decisive for Rosberg's race? I don't know what they what they fed uh, Vettel before the race, but boy, he, <laughs> he jumped out of the rabbit hole like he had dynamite up his ass. I, he was just <laughs> on fire. And looking back, I I, uh, I have to... I, I almost... I don't know if I should blame him or uh, or Lewis for, uh, for Daniel's... Uh, poor uh, you know race because mm-hmm. uh, Rosberg ended up essentially uh forcing Daniel to give up his uh, track position and uh, really affected his race yeah absolutely and we saw Rosberg drop down it was ninth after that first corner which he ended up having to cut because he was forced off and then was passed by Hulkenberg down into three I think it was or in any case before the end of the first lap and then had it all to make up and to briefly summarize his race he had a puncture and that was sort of the end of it he could could only uh, finish behind Max Verstappen in fifth place uh, and that's subsequently how we've come to a point where he holds only a nine point championship lead uh, <laughs> and that was Rosberg's race but the fight at the front that's the important thing because Sebastian Vettel was leading and suddenly we've seen as we saw in Monaco with Red Bull Racing and as we saw in Australia with Ferrari actually uh, track position suddenly gives you an opportunity to watch or what should be an opportunity we should say to dictate what happens in this race But Ferrari opted for a two-stop strategy despite having, uh, I suppose, the rare commodity, if you're not a Mercedes driver, of track position. And this is the second race in a row the leader has given up track position to Mercedes, second time Ferrari's done it this year. Despite the fact, as you said, everyone knows the Mercedes car, whilst it's still very good in any conditions, lacks a little bit when it's having to follow another car. Yeah. I still can't figure out why they've done it. I, I, I was expecting someone to to have a, a uh, gift bow on top of that and he'd say, here you go, <laughs> take this. I, I was desperately looking for the uh, position uh, to be opened up on online today for a new Ferrari strategist. <laughs> I, I, I searched high and low. I could not find it. I, I honestly don't know uh, what they're thinking sometimes. Um, mm. let's, let's understand that, okay, it was a fir- virtual safety car. They didn't know it was going to end or maybe they did know it was going to end. I doubt they did uh, mm-hmm. on that lap. They pulled them. They pulled the uh, Seb in from the lead, mm-hmm. and they put him on a, a tire that forced him to have another stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they were hoping for rain and maybe the great equalizer. I don't know, but they. Uh, I struggle to understand why you would want to give up the the option uh, of not having to stop again. Mm-hmm. You could easily have put on the softs and gone for the super softs later if you felt that you had to, but going with the super softs first, you're handcuffed. Yeah, absolutely. And it's worth pointing out here uh, a little uh, a twist in the Pirelli rules here. Normally they bring three compounds to every race and two of those compounds, uh, I guess we can call the prime tyre in which you have to use one of them in the race. It caught a couple of people out, not the teams. They know they're on top of these sort of things. But the fact that it wasn't two compounds in Canada, it was just two soft tyres, which meant that when you might have originally thought that by Vettel using one of the harder tyres, he didn't have to make another stop. No, you had to use the soft tyre. And as a result, it was the dominant tyre of the race because most people at least attempted to get past on a one stop. But after Vettel stopped on lap 11... I mean, it was obvious what Hamilton was going to do. And in fact, he said as much once they started the race, the team said, move to plan B. He didn't know what plan B was. In the end, it was a single stop race. But even when Vettel was on the super soft, which you could say is an alternative strategy, you know, it should be a bit faster than the soft. His pace over Hamilton on used ultra softs just wasn't that quick, was it? 
No, I don't think there was much of a difference in uh, the, in speed in the compound itself. We we also saw the ultra soft lasting. Uh, I think the longest stint was three laps longer than the super softs. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, you have to wonder uh, what the strategists were thinking. Unless, of course, as you mentioned at the start, the data uh, from the Friday session, you know, wasn't really relevant, uh, because of the changeable weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to emphasize that weather point, it was only 13 degrees. I think it was on race day, which is pretty chilly. Uh, and 24 was the maximum track temperature on the day. So wasn't as representative as you think, but nonetheless, I mean, it was, it's what Lewis said in Monaco and granted Monaco is a unique circuit, but then the ultra soft's only really being brought to sort of unusual circuits or circuits, you know, not standard, uh, that the ultra soft's essentially a super soft with purple painted on it. Uh, <laughs> it, it makes you wonder perhaps if, if uh, maybe the expectation was that everyone wanted a qualifying tyre that would go off after three laps and, and maybe Pirelli hasn't quite delivered what that is. They've delivered a very competent tyre. It's ironic that everyone's saying they last too long when normally they complain it doesn't last long enough. But uh, it's an interesting situation now with this fifth compound. Yeah, absolutely. I, I still wonder whether it's worth all the, 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 the shipping costs and, and logistics to, to lug all these tyres around. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the weather. Did you, did you happen to catch what uh, what Jensen Button said before the race? He said it was freezing. He was trying to stay warm. Mm, yeah, wasn't it nice of of Honda to uh, oblige and uh, and provide a little fire to keep him warm? <laughs> uh, what lap was that? Uh, I think that would have been. Uh, it was around lap yeah, eleven. Yeah, that was the virtual safety car that prompted the strategic disaster for Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure he's complaining about the cold after that. No, I think you might be right. Uh, so we saw Vettel take that first stop. It was a very early stop indeed. I think so that even Ferrari admitted it was probably slightly earlier than they anticipated. Uh, and very few people stopped quite that early. Only NASA stopped earlier than that. But, you know, that's Sauber and they finished well down the order. Uh, and I guess the, the idea would be that perhaps the soft tyre might not last what was nearly 50 laps that Hamilton was going to demand of them when he stopped on lap 24. Although, to be fair, that's exactly the window Pirelli predicted. I think they predicted 25 would be your ideal one-stop window. So it, it almost makes you, and even the way Hamilton talked after the race, where he was a man of serenity and calmness, I wonder whether he actually did feel under stress at all by the Ferrari behind him. Uh, I think he might have felt that he had uh, pace in hand to deal with, uh, to manage the gap. And, uh, you know, being in front still means y- you have to defend. And we saw how, how well uh, Max Verstappen did at defending uh, mm-hmm. Rosberg. So, you know, you can make that car as wide as you as you want to make it. Uh, the only real challenge is along those straights, if you happen to have a little more grunt uh, under DRS, you definitely have uh, uh, an advantage. But otherwise... You know, you can make that car rather wide. So I think Hamilton felt confident in in both uh, his abilities and perhaps the car and its pace to stay ahead of uh, of uh, Sebastian. Mm, and certainly, I mean, this is a circuit Hamilton knows well. He's the second on the all-time win tally here with five victories, a second only to Michael Schumacher on seven. So he does know what he's doing uh, around this circuit. But it just must be frustrating. I mean, it's frustrating, I can only assume, for Ferrari. He's done this a couple of times this year, but it's, a, it's certainly frustrating for anyone who has to, who's watching the sport, and even the sport itself, who's of course hoping for you know a, a big show and a spectacle every round. That these opportunities appear to be gifted to the teams that aren't Mercedes, and they just consistently can't do it. And I wonder how much of this is. 
whether they're trying to outsmart themselves or whether it is a lack of confidence in their own cars because the one thing Mercedes has showed through all of those races where it, it dramatically lost the upper hand if momentarily is that they know exactly what they can get out of their car and, and they nail those decisions every time. See, when you're on the back foot, uh, you you try to get more pace out of the car, which inevitably means giving up perhaps a little bit of that reliability or that feeling of uh, security that you might have. Whereas Mm -hmm. when you're in front and everything seems to be working and going your way, it's less of a concern. So part of it, I think you've nailed it, is that uh, um, the fact that they may be trying to outsmart themselves to think that maybe they don't have what it takes to beat them and and therefore trying to make a strategic call uh, to, to get the upper hand. Whereas uh, others may uh, feel that the the pace of the car just isn't there and they, they're maybe not so sure of what they can actually coax out of the vehicle. Yeah, absolutely. But that was the finishing result. It was Lewis Hamilton who outwitted, if you will, Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian Vettel perhaps showing uh, a little bit of that pressure towards the end of the race where he had a couple of critical lockups that really uh, sealed the result in the end when he was slowly inching towards Lewis Hamilton. I think he got it down to four point something seconds. Uh, a couple of critical lockups, which I suppose we also saw in Australia, didn't we? we this race really does parallel Australia in some respects because we had to see Vettel dashing for an unlikely uh, position towards the end of the race and then making a mistake. He seemed very calm after the race, but we, we have seen perhaps a little bit more of a frantic side of him in the last couple of Grand Prix. Oh, I think we can blame the Seagulls for one of those lockups. <laughs> uh, I have to say that the, um, the the circuit itself is rather harsh on brakes. I think there's four, four braking zones where mm-hmm. the cars are braking from over 300 kilometers an hour. And if it's hot, you, you cook the brakes and, you, and they fade. And if it's cold, they'll glaze. Um, and and uh, there's a very little uh, movement uh, or travel in the actual brake pedal. I think it's millimeters. So, uh, you know, it is a very mm-hmm. delicate um, uh, skill that's required around uh, the Circuit de Gilles Villeneuve uh, in terms of brakes. But I think the frustration might be, you know, he might have just been trying too hard. He knows he he could have had a victory he was probably frustrated a little to say that uh, he may have missed the his his opportunity and he he might have you know he might have smelled blood he might have said hey maybe i can do this and uh, pushed a little too hard and we know what happens when you get a little too uh, excited mm. uh, you know things happen mm. you're nico rosberg you end up on the marbles you spin your car at the last game <laughs> a little bit too excited it happens it does happen uh, they were the top two finishing places but valtteri bottas should not be understated in 30 say his second consecutive third place in canada which is some result considering the williams car has been a little bit out of sorts this season i think it's fair to say that some of the bigger teams have been able to outspend the Williams team in terms of development Uh, but he did so on that one stop strategy which again Pirelli did say would be the favoured race he stopped on lap 23 as well which Pirelli said would be around about that ideal window for a stop and I think what's becoming key for Williams they're really excelling in all the things that they still have control over all the things which isn't just about throwing as much money towards your wind tunnel as possible and bring as many parts as you can Uh, and one of the particular things is the pit stop table Uh, they've 
consistently, in fact, at every race this year, recorded the fastest pit stop time. This was their second fastest, a 2.11 seconds. Their fastest was China, which was a 2.1 flat. I mean, those things count so much, don't they? Those little differences that you can make to your race contribute to a, a result where all things going right, you can get Valtteri Bottas onto the podium. Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, the, do the one stop, you're saving yourself a delta of, what was it, 23 seconds or something like that. Mm. And uh, that obviously is going to go a long way. But when you can steal, uh, you know, one second or, or half a second in a pit stop, that could make the difference between whether you're on the podium or not or whether you're in the points or mm-hmm. not so absolutely well done to to williams uh, as you said they they may not have the the chassis they've been known to have over the years uh, they still have the mercedes power so they you know obviously not struggling in that respect but mm-hmm. uh, i think they they do what they do well mm-hmm. and uh, there's a lot of brilliant minds at, at williams i expect i expect them to be in it uh, or at least uh, fighting for uh, for points. Yeah, absolutely. When 2017 rolls around, we do get that change of uh, aerodynamic rules, uh, at very least. They've already admitted that that's more or less where their focus is now, and perhaps we can see another uh, resurgence and jump up the table as we did at the start of this current regulatory set. And we talk about pit stops and how they make the difference, and one second, half a second here can make all the difference. As you said, the pit stop delta was somewhere in the vicinity of 20-something seconds. It's a quickish stop in Canada. It's one of the quicker places, at the very least. I do want to talk about Raikkonen very briefly because he was also on the two-stop. He was out of sorts all weekend though. For whatever reason, he just looked desperately unhappy well off the pace in qualifying. In the race, he finished 63 seconds behind the lead and that's something like uh, 20-odd seconds behind Vottas. Again, we see that perhaps if Ferrari had even split its strategies, one thing if you wanted to gamble on two stops, but it's surprising that we didn't see Kimi Raikkonen considering how out of the picture he was for the win be put on an alternative strategy and maybe clean up some points somewhere else because we can see everyone between Bottas and uh, Raikkonen which was Verstappen and Rosberg two stopped so a one stop would have been ideal here yeah he stopped uh, he stopped on the same lap that uh, Vettel stopped uh, for his first pit stop Mm. he stopped four laps earlier for his uh, second pit so his his third Mm -hmm. uh, his final stint was a little bit longer than Seb's so tire wise let's say that they were pretty comparable in terms of uh, age and uh, number of laps, etc. I think the difference is Seb had a little bit more, let's say, uh, clear air. Um, Kimi might might have uh, ended up, I think, overusing his tires, maybe being too close to uh, to the trailing cars, or the, uh, following the cars in front, and uh, also having to defend from, from behind. Um, so... I don't know. He was just—he was not happy this weekend. Yeah. Uh, I suppose. I suppose he's not a big fan of Heineken. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, stories you hear about Raikkonen could be quite the opposite. But uh, perhaps no. Perhaps he is not. I just—I think it's interesting. I mean, we saw. I guess what is a somewhat rare decision from Mercedes to split their cars' strategies. Yes, their prospects were perhaps different after the first lap when, as we said, Rosberg was all the way down in 10th and eventually recovered to finish 5th. But it's it's interesting that they would choose to not break with that convention of you know giving their drivers equal treatment and whatever when Raikkonen himself seemed pretty out of the picture all weekend. And you just wonder, I mean... 
if the teams have really gotten to grips with the tyres thus far, I know they all said at the end of last season when we brought in these tyre regulations that you know after three rounds everyone will be doing exactly the same thing because everyone will understand the rules. But it's it's a strange vein of conservatism that seems to be gripping some of the teams that they just don't want to gamble on them. Well, let's remember that the, they have to select what compounds they're bringing before mm-hmm. and how many sets of each. Uh, and therefore... I don't know how much the, the I'm assuming that the team has more of a of an input on that than the than the drivers mm-hmm. do. So it's whatever the team decides to bring that will dictate what they can select from. And uh, having said that, um, not knowing exactly what these compounds are going to deliver, especially the the Ultrasoft, because they haven't done a full round. Uh, there's mm-hmm. really no data to back it up until Friday. So uh, it's really an unknown. Uh, I would I would uh, agree with you in that if you're going to um, have the two drivers with an unknown element, why not split the the strategy if you notice that one um, may not necessarily work? If you're taking a risk or if you're making a strategic call, at least have one that's safe. Mm. I mean, it would make sense to you and I. I don't know how these people they should just listen to the program. They get so many <laughs> ideas. It makes so much sense. And briefly, I do want to touch on the Force India cars because they've now got higher hopes than they had at the start of the season because they've brought this B-Spec package. Uh, And the B-Spec package does seem like a step forward, but they didn't quite get the result they wanted in Canada. Hulkenberg finished 8th, which he did fairly well to do. He was the first man one lap down, Perez 10th. Interestingly, again, and we don't know how much this plays into the idea of there being unknown tyres and the conditions being a little bit different to what they expected, but surprising to see they didn't attempt to put at least one of their drivers, probably Perez, on the one stop, given that tends to be their strength to to draw out the length of those tyres. Again, I, I I have to agree in that I don't know why the strategists have I we're not professionals and this is what they do for a living. This is what they do for a living, so you would expect them to know better. But mm-hmm. uh, from a from a, a fan's standpoint, uh, I would expect uh, I would expect them to, to give it a shot. Now with the Force India, again, we we know that they have uh, some some good uh, Mercedes power behind them, mm-hmm. and uh, their chassis definitely seems to be working well on tighter tracks. Perhaps uh, Canada is a little bit of an anomaly with the the tarmac being what it is, very green. The weather conditions, uh, perhaps the tires aren't. Uh, able to turn on or switch on quickly enough uh, for them to take advantage of it but we definitely saw uh, some good performances from Force India and I do expect that uh, in races to come they will steal some points away from from people and and probably frustrate uh, teams like Williams, uh, Ferrari and Red Bull if they if they get it right. Mm. And from one unknown to another I suppose uh, the next round is going to be in Baku, Azerbaijani capital officially we must call it the European Grand Prix. If you're looking at Europe on a map you might struggle to find it but it's there <laughs> I promise. Uh, and it's a street circuit but it's a street circuit with a little bit of a difference isn't it because it's going to be the world's fastest street circuit if we listen to Herman Tilke the man who designed it. And that's going to be a massive challenge really. Now we've got the middle set of tyres uh, that probably will be bringing probably because as is the way with new circuits they tend to play it a little bit conservative in case something catastrophic were to happen when they get there uh, but this is really anyone's game considering that as we said at the top of the show nine points in the championship we've got a bunch of teams
teams uh, competing and a bunch of teams that seem to work well on street circuits, whether it be Force India or whether it be Mercedes versus Red Bull Racing. I mean, we're set up really nicely now for this middle third of the season to start at Baku. A lot of people are naysaying it, but I think it could actually be really interesting. I think the uh, the circuit, uh, look, we haven't been there yet, so let's give it a chance. Uh, could, could prove uh, for some really good racing. They say it's the the, the fastest uh, street circuit. I, I think Montreal is also a street circuit. I, I'd be mm. curious to see how much faster it is. Um, I, look, safety is always going to be a concern, so conservative uh, tire choices are probably a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, what better setup can there be for things tightening up and going to a, an absolutely unknown circuit where the the closest anyone has been is on a simulator <laughs> let's do this let's see how how uh what kind of uh performance we get out of this what kind of entertainment we get and hopefully it'll be tight enough that we'll actually have some battles uh throughout the the field fingers crossed certainly i think it could be i think it's going to be an exciting weekend but we'll wait and see i've said things that are incorrect before so we'll just wait and see how it pans out uh that's all for the next episode of course uh but that was the Canadian Grand Prix. Ernie, you can be found at the F1 Poet on Twitter, is that right? That is correct. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the race and it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much. That's all the time we have for this edition of the Strategy Report. And if you want to read more about the strategy of the Canadian Grand Prix, go to f1strategyreport.com and follow the links to the blog for Jack Leslie's write-up of all the action from Montreal. My name's Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter. And be sure to join me in just one week's time when we look back at the first ever race on the streets of Baku for Azerbaijan's European Grand Prix. Thank you.